1: around the country black buffalo tobacco alternative bold flavor full pouches you know our trusted partner TireRack.com for their fast free
0: shipping free road hazard protection convenient installation options and their great selection of best tires like the highly consumer rated goodyear assurance weather ready but did you know they sell other automotive products wheels brakes suspension Just to name a few, go to TireRack.com slash Colin, TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
1: What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, the Three and Out podcast coming to you live, well, not actually live because I'm recording it, on the Colin Coward Podcast Network from a remote location. I'm in Nashville. Uh, I have a good friend who's getting married this fall, and it hit me. We're having a bachelor party this weekend in Nashville, first time I've ever been here. And about a month ago, I realized, why don't I go a little early, hit Titans practice. I've known the general manager, John Robinson, since I was a graduate assistant at Fresno State. Uh, I I had a chance on Tuesday to go to his office, talk to him for about 20 minutes. He's really established himself as, as one of the better young GMs in the league, You know, Comes from the Belichickian tree, obviously just hired Mike Vrabel, had some big free agent signings, and Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler. We'll get into all that. So Titans general manager, John Robinson, will come up next. But first I wanted to start with something. I've developed this philosophy pretty recently, probably since my time actually around Michael Vick. And in the NFL, and it it becomes – Once the draft period comes around, Twitter and people get so sensitive when you talk about people's intelligence, and especially quarterback. And I've always thought that was stupid because you should be able to be critical. Is a guy smart enough? Is a fair question. Now, unless you meet him and are around him, we might not have the answers, someone being critical, you know, a draft analyst or whatever. But, you know, I talk to people in the league and and people that I trust and offensive coordinators or, you know, scouting directors or or general managers, and and when they say a guy is not smart enough, again, I'm talking quarterback. Certain positions, like I don't care how smart you are at running back or at defensive end, uh, you know, even really at corner, depending on the defense, but at quarterback, I need a high level of cognitive ability. I need you to be able to retain and then execute information that is just crazy. And not not every job you have to be super smart. If you're going to build a bridge, like you're going to build the Bay Bridge, which I think they did like five years ago, you better be a genius. You know, you better be very, very intelligent. But, you know, I, I've met millionaires. I actually knew a guy growing up, his grandpa, multi-millionaire, owned a construction company, never graduated high school. So a- education level, and I learned when I was scouting in the NFL – Just because you get good grades, let's say you're a straight-A student, doesn't mean you're going to be functionally football intelligent. Vice versa. Just because you get bad grades in school doesn't mean you're not going to be a genius. There have been a lot of NFL players over the history of the game and the sport that have been quote-unquote dumb in the classroom outside of football, and genius football players had great football intelligence. Their functional intelligence when it came to retaining and using – And executing football information from the classroom, the meeting room, to the practice field was high level. And everyone learns differently. But when it comes to quarterback, I'm out there at practice. And I was a little jaded because last week I was at 49er practice. And Jimmy Garoppolo, who's clearly a pretty big genius, did not start when he got to the 49ers for I think the first four weeks and everyone around the Bay Area is where I live. And most people around the country are like, what is Kyle doing? You know, his team's terrible. Just throw him out there. It's it's what I was saying. And, and I've been around the league. And it turns out, I, as I learned today, it finally hit me today, Kyle was 100% right. Because I'm out of practice today for the Tennessee Titans. And Matt LaFleur, who was with Kyle in Washington and then with Kyle in Atlanta and then was with Sean McVay, they all run the same offense. And if you remember John Gruden with those quarterback camps used to make quarterbacks that had come from spread offenses, he'd give them a play, and it was a crazy long play. He wasn't making it up. It was a West Coast offense play. And watching Mariota in the offense today in red zone drills, LaFleur had to stop the offense a couple times. And then he'd yell out a play that, I swear to God, was like 50 words. And I went, I don't know how. And you could tell Mariota was trying to digest it all. I, I wouldn't say, you know, swimming might be a little strong, but, you know, it, just, it was a slow process. And I think it all gets back to, this is the reason if Kyle had his brothers Jimmy Garoppolo, he might even held him back a little longer. They literally had nothing to play for last year, but there's no way he was ready. And I'm watching him at practice last week, and he has a pretty good grasp of the offense. But the offense is crazy. The the intelligence you have to have, and I've seen it around Andy, the play calling, Andy Reid, the West Coast offense, and obviously it's adapted You know, it's nowhere near what it once was with Bill Walsh. But there are still still certain terminology that is carried over. The personnel groups are still called, you know, the same names that they were called as they were 20, 30 years ago. And I think John Gruden is also with Derek Carr. And it kind of hit me today. Jimmy Garoppolo has a huge edge on Mariota and Carr learning this new offense. The verbiage of the new offense is basically like learning a new language. But the pace and how fast it gets screened from the offensive coordinator – who Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, John Gruden, who knows these offenses, Sean McVay, like the back of their hand, speaks. I, I mean, I was floored. I, I, I'm probably not even describing it well enough. It left me, and I have multiple degrees. I, I just thought, there's no way in hell I could do this. How can this guy learn this offense? I mean, there are so many freaking words that I don't think quarterbacks, and I think we. it hits us every once in a while when an NFL video comes up or you know, a Chad Johnson Ocho Cinco goes to the Patriots and he can't play, and they basically tell you he's just not smart enough. And there are only certain organizations where a skill guy can't get on the field where they're not smart enough. And obviously, the terminology in New England is different, and that's the one thing Kyle Shanahan said when he got Jimmy Garoppolo is that the termin- like the the expansive words and the way the length in which plays are similar. Josh has long play calls, but the words are completely different. So there really wasn't much carryover. And I'm watching Mariota today and being like, man, this is going to be a learning process. It's not going to be fair for me to judge him. And it hit me with Derek Carr, who's with John Gruden right now, to judge these guys, like really the first month of the season. And Jimmy Garoppolo basically got five weeks on the fly, and then this entire offseason where he can kind of hone you know, into what he learned. It really is remarkable. What Jimmy Garoppolo was able to do from a blank slate to learn that offense, even if they were only giving him, you know, a small subset of plays, and to function at that high level, because I, I hadn't—I may have obviously seen it on YouTube videos and seen specials on TV—but when you go to 49er practice, Kyle is not really—they're not having to repeat a lot of stuff because Garoppolo knows it now. But you go to Titans practice, Matt Lafleur kind of has to stop and tell the wide receivers where to go, reiterate stuff to Mariota. And again, that's normal. That's the point of this whole time of year. And I think sometimes, and I I am just as guilty as anyone else, we lose sight of how complicated this stuff is and our expectations for week one, like Mariota better be kicking ass. Derek Carr better throw four touchdowns for Gruden. Like It's kind of going to be unfair the first month for those two guys. Like Even Patrick Mahomes has such a big leg up on those two quarterbacks in the sense that he hasn't played as much as those guys, but from the offense, now he hasn't rep with the ones the last several years, or I guess the last year, but he ran that offense all year long with Andy Reid. He sat in all those meetings. So m- while he has to catch up physically, mentally, he's going to feel pretty confident about it. And I, I think there's – we every anyone knows, any situation – If you aren't quite confident mentally, something very complicated, whatever you may do, like the hardest part of your job, it slows you down. Hell, just recording these podcasts... You know, I'm not a uh, sound engineer. It's taken me a while. I think these interviews or this interview I did with John Robinson just sounds a lot better than the ones I did with Howie Roseman and and Matt Nagy at the Combine. It takes time. I mean, it's a learning process. I've always had people do this for me. But you know what's healthy been to learn this aspect of the business, how to produce my own stuff, you know, how to record better sound. And it it just takes time. And I think all getting back to quarterback, which is – a million times harder than recording a podcast. But my point is, like, I think when you watch Mariota, w- when you watch Carr this year, t- give him some time. I-, I think it's only fair because I-, I know a lot of fans don't get to go to these practices, and I know you'd all love to. If you really were able to sit there, I think your jaw would hit the floor because I- I've been around the NFL, like, on done this for a living now for eight years, and today it kind of hit me like, Wow. This, this is this West Coast offense that all these McVay, Shanahan, that I think Gruden's going to be running a lot of principles. It is really, really hard. Okay, well, I'm in the office of the general manager for the Tennessee Titans, John Robinson. I think I met you actually when I was a GA at Fresno State. You were you were
2: beating the bushes. That's exact. I was turning over rocks. Drove all <laughs> way out to Fresno to try to find a player. How's how's life treating you? How's everything going? It, it's been good. Um, uh, my, my I don't have a mobile office um, in the back of my pickup truck anymore. I, I have a pretty nice office here at it's not uh, bad. here at uh, here at Titans headquarters. But it's you know it's been good. It's been a, it's been a quite a process the last uh, two years uh, trying to to turn the franchise around and, and, and change um, Titans football. Um, I just spoke to was probably 100, 150 high school coaches. And, I saw a bunch of guys out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So we're having a high school clinic today, and, and I told them, like, I, I'm about investing in people and getting the right type of people in an organization, um, players included. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that can run fast and jump high and um, lift a lot of weights, but they, they we ideally wanted to be good people. They obviously got to be pretty good at football, too. Um, but I think the character of people can really, you know, maybe propel them that they might lack a certain physical skill set to maybe, you know, be a pretty good player on the field.
1: Well it's safe to say I think from oh two to two thousand thirteen you were with the New England Patriots and they yes. obviously put a big premium on that. You know, obviously good football players but great people. Uh, how much does that carry over to everything you do now?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, philosophically I'm I'm fundamentally rooted in in the things that I learned from, from Coach Belichick, from Scott Pioli, from Thomas Dimitrov. Uh, Nick Casario, Jason Light, you know all those guys that that we were there uh, together, helping. You know what a keep, crew. Yeah, it was pretty pretty good pretty good group. Pretty <laughs> great mentors for me to learn from, um, and and I took notes even when when they weren't. You know, it really wasn't a maybe a note taking session or a meeting session. Um, I would mentally take notes on how how we did things there in New England and how how what I liked, what I didn't like. You know, because I always said if I ever got the opportunity. Uh, to run run an NFL team, certainly the model, that's the model, Um, but you got to put your own spin on it. You got to be you. Um, There's only one uh, Coach Belichick, and um, you can take a lot of things that that, that he does and that, that certainly I have that I learned from him, and and try to be John Robinson and put my own spin on it.
1: You you don't think he'd be singing with Florida Georgia Line with a beer on stage? I don't I don't know if that would be a he probably. He I might, stumbled upon this YouTube video when I was watching some of your interviews. I said and Rabes was up there too. You guys yeah, were getting after it. He you might, were kind of
2: rocking. He might secretly want to get up there, but I don't know if he would step up there. You know that was a cool night. You know we had um, we had thirty thousand. Is that at the stadium? Yeah, no. So we had, we set up a stage downtown Nashville. It was our uniform unveiling. Uh, new uniforms this uh, coming season for the Titans, and uh, we had Florida Georgia Line came out and put on a fr- uh, free concert for everybody attending. There was like thirty thousand people, and you walk out there and it's like, holy smokes! All these fans came out to watch us walk out in some new unis. So they they kicked us back out there, and I think we sang "Shine." And yeah, uh, it was I lip-synced probably <laughs> half of because I know they didn't want to hear me sing it.
1: You, you know, I, I was reading that Bob Kraft used to run into you in the hallways and drill you about players. And he said that he always looked back – he was always impressed with your knowledge. I started thinking, I mean, when he probably first started doing that, you were relatively young. I mean, is that kind of – I mean, that's the owner of the franchise.
2: Was that kind of intimidating? You always <laughs> had to have a nugget for him. He always asked for a, he always asked for a nugget. And I'll I'll never forget, um, I, I used one nugget one too many times. He asked me about a player, and uh, it was the year Adama Kansu was coming out. And I was like, yeah, Adama Kansu, he's a pretty good player. And he goes, oh, that's good, John um he saw me a month later and give me another nugget and I gave him sue again thinking that would suffice and I think I've got past him on that but the third time I said to Dominic sue he said you've told me that three times now who else you got <laughs> I I guess in that New England building you always got to be
1: on your p's and q's and be, and be ready whether you're a, a scout a player a coach it doesn't matter
2: yeah I mean every every day was a was a new day and and we had a job to do and um, when, when you pulled in the parking lot and, and walked through the door, um, it was, uh, it was game on, it was football time. And, um, we were trying, we were there to try to, try to win football games.
1: How long do you think before you felt comfortable saying, you know, I think Bill likes me?
2: Uh, it took a while. Yeah, it, t- it took a while.
1: <laughs> Cause I bet he's not a big, like, I like you guy.
2: <laughs> no, but, but you know, he, he, um, he, he, he's a really, he's a really neat guy. I love him. Um, yeah. I think he, he, he's got a great sense of humor, um, it does not everybody sees that um but when you get to know him like he's um he he loves football like that's football is is primo number one for him and and he likes guys that like ball yeah and um I was a guy that liked ball you know
1: I've worked for Pat Hill and then Andy Reid and they love him you know I mean Pat talked about him all the time and Andy used to do business with him all the time so I mean his friends are they're tight with him yeah he's
2: he really is he's a um you know, it was it was cool i think i've said it before when my daughter who's a uh, type 1 diabetic the the i missed work on monday because of her diagnosis and uh, got back in on Tuesday, and uh, there was a, a stuffed teddy bear with a the the old Belichick hoodie, um, and he had he had went and had purchased that bear for my daughter, and re- and hand wrote a note that we're thinking of your daughter, and if you need anything, let us know. Wow. So that's the side of Belichick that you know a lot of people don't see. Well, you went on a coaching search this
1: year, and you know back down that Belichickian tree, you know that's got to be a pretty. I mean, that's a big moment for a general manager. Your first ever head coaching search, and you ended up with Mike Vrabel. That most people the last couple of years I know have lived in the Bay Area. I think they interviewed Vrabes a couple years ago for a defensive coordinator spot and then a head coaching spot. Uh, How did that whole process kind of play out?
2: Yeah, um, you know we had had uh, three certainly deserving candidates in in Mike and uh, Matt Lafleur and. Um, uh, Coach Wilks, uh, Steve Wilkes there, who was with Carolina and now with Arizona. Looks like you were on the right guys. <laughs> yeah, it looks like we yeah we, we were down the right track somewhere. <laughs> um and, and, you know, Vrabes just really impressed us. I certainly uh, – our paths crossed in New England. I wouldn't say we had a ton of interaction. Um, I was a road scout looking for players to replace him. Yeah. Uh, he knew that was my job, and I knew what his job was, was to help us win games. Um, and I think that we see players similarly. Philosophically, we want the team to, to be built the same way. Um, it was really a, a shared vision, one that's, one that's unified in what we want the team to look like, um, and his leadership style and his presence and command uh, for the room uh, really was showcased in that interview. You knew within five or ten minutes that like, he was commanding the room and just knew it was really going to be a really good fit um, with us working together
1: definitely they have a royal rumble of coaches you know he'd probably be the betting favorite
2: yeah i wouldn't want to mess with him he can still <laughs> run too, so like don't think you're going to run away from him if you try to get one in because they he'll chase you down you, you know i saw when he was i mean he basically went
1: on the pro day circuit and was leading the charge you know yeah he I, I, he got his lip
2: busted or he busted lips i mean he he
1: was throwing it around
2: yeah he he was definitely he was definitely not afraid to test drive the prospects this spring he got he mixed in there whether it was an offensive lineman a defensive lineman a linebacker um, again, and I think that's what our charge is as scouts, as coaches, when we go out to these pro days, is you got to get to know what you're buying. you got to test drive these guys and, and see if they're going to be about what you're about um, as a football team.
1: How much does that help? I mean, he's coming back to you going, God, I mean, I felt this when I worked with this guy. And the first two guys you took were defensive players that he was working with on the field. I mean, that's yeah, – I don't he, know if he worked out Harold Landry. Yeah, but he did. He-,
2: he actually went up and worked out Harold and, and spent some time with him. And, and he he was teaching him some things that – um you didn't always see him do on film and then finally he had somebody video it and you saw him execute the technique that we were looking for and it was kind of I wouldn't say it was an aha moment but it was like all right this guy he's got it like we can coach this guy to do what we're looking to do is that when trader john starts uh
1: getting his uh, ducks in a row to make a move
2: picking up the phone had to weather one night and uh it was it was uh, didn't get a lot of sleep a lot of tossing and turning and um and then started working the phones the next day, and and we're fine. You know, fortunately, uh, found a willing partner there in Oakland to to jump up there and take Harold.
1: Well, you traded your first, you know, up in both rounds. You know, in the first round, let's start with Rashawn Evans. I was actually reading on the plane flight out here. Phil Savage just wrote a book, and he was talking about how two years ago, I, I just and I just assumed Ruben was mirrored Deshaun Watson. It was actually Rashawn Evans two years ago when Deshaun. They, I think they ended up beating him. Yep. And obviously, this year had an excellent year and. It felt like I've heard you guys talk. You thought, you know, he wasn't going to quite make it to you. So you know, Trader John gets aggressive and he, he gets his guy. How fired up are you to? Yeah, have that we guy were. On your football team?
2: Yeah, we we were really we were really stoked. You know, as it as it started inching closer uh, to our pick. I mean, there were some um, mocks. You know, ever how much stock you put in those that had him going in the the mid teens, yeah. uh, certainly early twenties, uh, and then you know got some intel that there's some some action that from teams behind us trying to get ahead of us. Um, so Baltimore picked up the phone and called Ozzy and DaCosta and there in, in Baltimore, and they were looking to slide back a, a couple spots, and we were able to get Rashawn, and we were stoked. How nervous are you?
1: I mean, is he the guy you have to have, or just the New England way? You have a clump of guys that you can go either way. Yeah, just, you, you can't get, get married to one spot, can you?
2: No, that's it's tough when you when you've got all your your chips pushed in on you know on one on guy. one number. Yeah. Um 'cause Because if you get busted, then you're you're high and dry. Then you're looking to bail out. So you got to have a pool of players that you're comfortable with with taking. Um, and uh, I'd say Rashawn was at the was at the top of that heap. And then you go in the second round. I mean, this was a guy last year coming into the year, people
1: thought was going to be top 10, top 15 pick. And I know in the Bay Area, people thought, Are the Raiders going to take him to put him with Khalil Mack? And then you come flying up uh, and, and get your guy. And you came up a long way. And I think you said that, and it's pretty obvious, there's no way he was going to be there when you guys picked.
2: No, that that we would we would have had to, to dodge several bullets for him to make it all the way down there. Uh, I guess you
1: never know, but I mean, it's... yeah, you
2: you never know. But um, again, he was he was a guy that was was still highly rated on our board, uh, a guy that we had talked about taking even in the first round, um, but for whatever reason, he slipped he slipped into the second round, and uh, you know, Oakland was on the clock there, and and the time was ticking down, ticking down, and I thought they may be trying to somebody may be trying to move, and and you know, you never really know, but. Uh, we were able to get them on the, get them on the horn and and craft a deal to get up there to get Harold.
1: How big are relationships in a move like that? I mean, Reggie McKenzie, John Gruden, you know, feel comfortable that they're shooting you straight and you know.
2: Yeah, it's it's big, but at at the end of the day, uh, my charge as um you know managing the football team is is to do what's best for the team and try to get our team in position uh, to improve. And yeah. I think that's what we tried to do. Now we had to mortgage a few picks to do that, uh, but we felt like we got two good players that will will hopefully help us. Obviously, before the draft, free agency,
1: and you, you had a big free agent moment. You hired an old New England coach. You got a couple New England players. I, I saw Mariota first player on the field, second Malcolm Butler. You know, I don't think that's random. I mean, Malcolm Butler spent 30 million dollars guaranteed. How how big was that signing?
2: Yeah, uh, good you know, good signing for us. I mean, he's he's really done a nice job in the offseason program. Uh, really done a, a, a good job matching and and learning Coach Pease's his, his coverages. He's made a lot of plays uh, for those guys in in New England. He's he's a great guy. Um, comes to work and and works hard and still plays with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. You know it was it was funny that uh, so we he can't, we brought him in after we signed him, and um, we had gone to dinner and had had dinner and and the next morning I walk in my office and I look out and there's a guy on the field running sprints. I'm like who's on the field running sprints? It's Malcolm Butler. So um, I was like, yeah, it's pretty you feel good. Pretty good, pretty good investment.
1: Did were you? Did you do any research into obviously he's his name became so polarizing in the Super Bowl? Was that something that bothered you, or something that you even had to look into as a scout, or his resume spoke for itself? No, I mean
2: I think his resume certainly. The question comes up, and you and you, and you and you you ask, and you try to get as much intel as possible uh, in free agency. That's always a tough part of team building. Is uh getting information uh about the, the makeup of guys but uh everything that we got on on Malcolm was was positive and felt good about it Deion Lewis running back I mean the balance with you know maybe one of the biggest
1: running backs in NFL history and Derrick Henry you got to feel pretty good about your backfield you know and a quarterback they can run two of those three guys it's yeah gonna scare you.
2: pretty good one two And we think you know they're, they're they're really totally different but they're they're both guys that you can hand the ball to and throw the ball to um uh, Deion's run style is certainly different than than Derek's, but um, hopefully he can provide some matchup opportunities for us um, in a short passing game, and then and then change the pace of, of the run of the runs up a little bit as well.
1: How about your quarterback? You know, it's not often as a general manager you get to inherit a guy that's you know franchise quarterback. Last year. You know, had a down year, but I think him and Derek Carr both broke their ankle. I think it was Week 16, so Correct. they don't get an off season. Young guys, and then they have kind of step backs. But how big is the off season? And do you, I mean, this is the first time he's been healthy. What in a couple of years?
2: Yeah, I think that's the key. I think you nailed it there. It's a, it's the first time that he's really. Um, had an offseason where he wasn't rehabbing. He was really work, working on his on his skill set um, to improve as a player and not rehabbing an injury. So I know he feels good. Uh, it's a new offensive system. Um, he is a tireless worker, as you alluded to. He's the first guy on the field.
1: Like highest character guy in the NFL?
2: He's outstanding now. He's, <laughs>
1: he, he he apologized, was it, last year to the media? Correct, Because <laughs> yeah. his mom
2: got on him? His mom got on him. <laughs> he apologized. Like, you're not going to find a better guy um, and, and, and a better teammate. How much better do you think he can get? um well i think I think we can all get better. I think a lot of our players can get better he's he's certainly being being one of them um, I think he has gotten better um at, at parts of his game over the over the last two years and i you know I'm looking forward to him to to even get better this year.
1: I sat down with Parag Marate last week and we were talking about Jimmy Garoppolo contract. Obviously, your quarterback's still under his rookie contract, but these quarterbacks getting paid as the team builder your guy is eventually going to be up and if he bounces back we we see how that money goes how closely are you monitoring that just the way you build your team and and did that play into at all being aggressive this year in free agency knowing that even though he's still relatively expensive because he was a second overall pick but just that one day he's going to be a lot more expensive
2: yeah I mean I think that's I think that's my charge as as general manager is to is to monitor all of those situations regardless of what position it is and 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 try to put the team in best uh, the best position for for long term success. Um, that's our goal here. You know, we're not trying to catch lightning in a bottle. We're trying to to build something a sustainable um, team here that can hopefully win for a lot of years. And and there's a lot of factors uh, that you have to look at when you're when you're doing that. How closely do
1: you monitor the league on just a daily basis?
2: Yeah, quite a bit. There's not a ton of action in in the off season. Yeah. Um, you know, it's everybody's kind of in their off season. There's some some back end roster stuff that's you know. Uh, from a transaction standpoint. With rosters being
1: 90 now instead of 80, you know, four or five years ago, that's an extra guy's kind of, you know, looping in and out.
2: Yeah, we check the waiver wire daily and see if there's anybody. You know, we claimed John Theus a, a couple weeks ago, who it was, a I think, a fifth-round pick out of Georgia and has played some snaps in this league, Never can never have enough linemen for, for training camp. Yeah. And, you know, he's done a nice job for us since he's been here. What about in your division? I mean, you got two
1: quarterbacks that, I mean, are kind of game-changers if they come back from injury. Is that something you're monitoring? I mean, you play the Colts – and the Texans, you know, four times total luck and Deshaun's kind of progress. I mean, do you read Roto World, Twitter, and just kind of keep up with everything that's going on?
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of skim through it. I wouldn't say that I uh, uh, I don't set my daily schedule to catch up on. No burner on, accounts. On, no, no, exactly, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, but, yeah, you see what's going on around the league. Um, I mean, I think, that, again, that's part of our task is to, is to monitor what's going on. We've got a tough division, um, and that's where it all starts. We've got to win our division games. We've got to win our home games. Uh, if we can do that, it gives us a chance to get in the tournament next fall or next, uh, you know, next winter and, and see where it all shakes out. I
1: mean, this division could be really good. Obviously, the Jags are loaded and those two guys come back. I mean, this could be one of the better divisions in football.
2: Yeah, two two playoff teams last year, um, you know, in us and, and Jacksonville and, and Houston's been in there the last couple of years, so... Um, you know, I think that in in Indy with uh, they're certainly a very talented team, and I think all, that all bets are off. You know, we're just we're just trying to clock in every day and 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 put ourselves in best position to go out and um and be competitive and and hopefully win a few.
1: You ready for vacation?
2: I am ready for vacation. I am <laughs> ready for a little to unplug a little bit, catch the breath, spend a little bit of time with the family, and um I always get that itch about July the tenth or eleventh. I know the you you come home and the, the, the grass is cut and kind of yeah. smells like fall and it's you're like it's right around the corner and you get itchy to go back to work. So, so what
1: do you got? One more week after this and then, and then you guys are off.
2: Yeah, so we'll finish up this week uh, with the uh, the OTAs. We'll have vet mini camp next week and then uh, and then we'll be out for probably three or four weeks and then back at the end of July. How much work do you do over the summer? Uh, well, you got the, a you contract
1: know. potentially. Taylor Luwan, a guy you're working on, he's here. You know, some guys aren't here. You know, at their respective camps. I mean, that's got to mean a lot to you.
2: That. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're working on on several things. We got supplemental draft. Um, that, that list is going to be coming out here. You know, you never know. Yeah. You might you might catch a diamond in, in the rough there. One of those things. But certainly monitoring our, our roster and, and trying to make sure that when we get to training camp, uh, that we're as competitive as we can be.
1: Well, John, I appreciate the time and excited to get out and watch your football team practice. And- Thanks a lot, man. Good yeah, luck this
2: it's, fall. Yeah, it's, it's congratulations to you. It's good to catch up with you. You've come a long way from yeah. from Fresno <laughs> and, and beating the bushes as a scout with the Eagles. So, uh, congrats to you for your success. now, and now I thanks. just
1: stay on guys like you and bash you on Twitter. You know, when you screw up or give you praise when you do well. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, man. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Okay, John Robinson was great. I mean, he's for those of you that don't know him that well and are listening. You probably wouldn't because he was with Belichick all those years and flew under the radar and then was a right-hand guy for Jason Light for a couple of years in Tampa. And now, I mean, now he's pretty well known at being a general manager in the league. But I, I really think he's he's an old-school football guy who really understands players but also really gets value in the ability to trade. I think he's made 12 draft trades in the last three years. He's just dynamic, and usually the guy's Belichick – you know, believes in and if you work for Belichick from 2002 to 2013, y- you better believe the guy's dynamic. And I've known him for a, l- a long time, uh, been a big fan and, and now I'm kind of an un- under the Raider Titans fan and you know you guys should be too because he- he's impressive. Let's get to, you know my favorite time of the week, the, the middle cough mailbag. I-, I got a bunch of questions uh, f- from a lot of you guys, the last since the last podcast. Let's start with uh, Sharom from Texas. How do you think Dallas will do in the NFC? With them getting a year older, with their young guys, Jalen Smith another year removed from his injury, and Zeke back healthy, also not suspended, and a healthy offensive line, do you think an NFC championship game is out of reach? By no, Hell, no, I don't. I I think the the Dallas Cowboys are going to be really good. I know a lot of people think Jason Garrett stinks. I actually think he's solid. Now, is he an elite top seven, eight coach? No. But he's definitely good enough to get you to the NFC championship game. They were two years ago when Zeke was healthy, Dax rookie year after Romo went out. And I do think this year can be similar. If you look at last season, they were right in the mix at nine and seven and they missed Zeke for six games. He's their best player. And they can't afford to go six games without Zeke. If Dak Prescott just does what he did his rookie year, and doesn't even need to be that good, I mean, he can turn it up. It's not realistic to throw four or five, six picks. You're going to throw 10, 11, 12. But if you run the ball well, if you play solid defense, uh, I like the Cowboys to make the playoffs. I actually think they're kind of a sleeper because people just assume the Philadelphia Eagles are going to win the division again. I do think, obviously, the Eagles are a playoff team. But how often do teams just win the division back-to-back years? You know, it's hard in the NFL, you know. And Dallas won the division two years ago for a reason. They, they are really good. I'm bullish on Dallas. I liked them last year before Zeke inevitably got suspended. And remember, he went to Cabo for six games. I saw them live in San Francisco. And now the, the 49ers, this was pre-Garoppolo, but they were humming. They destroyed the Niners. And I went, that's a playoff team. And anytime you get into the playoff, you are a legitimate NFC championship or just an AFC championship threat. Because all you got to do is potentially win one game if you're a top suicide. And and if you're a top, you know, if you're a wild card team, you might host a playoff game, then you just got to win one game on the road. And we see it every year, teams go down. I I like the Dallas Cowboys. I really like them a lot. Uh, They might actually be my pick to win the NFC East. John, love the pod. What's the real expectations for the Miami Dolphins' 2018 season? I've seen their transactions over the offseason, and I love it. I think they're very deep in the secondary and have a sneaky good defensive front as well. Uh, drafting the kid from, I think, uh, Mike Giskecki, I think is how you say his name, the tight end from Penn State, is a great pick. I agree. To me, the I'm an Adam Gase guy. I've been a believer since he's been with Peyton Manning, everyone I've known, and basically, and with the Chicago Bears. I knew people that worked with him that loved him. I'm not selling stock just because he had one poor year in a season when his quarterback, you know, tore his ACL in training camp. There's not much you can do. They had to pull Jay Cutler out of the retirement booth. They were in a tough situation. I really think you have to throw away last season. Two years ago, again, when Ryan Tannehill get hurt because he gets hurt a lot, they made the playoffs with Matt Moore. Now, not for the entire season, but I think Matt Moore finished the last six games, maybe five, but it's not like they were in week 16. So he's proven to be able to work with a lot of different quarterbacks, you can make the back, you can make the playoffs with the backup quarterback. To me, that's impressive. They need to be a lot better on defense. They've gotten rid of, to me, a team cancer in Nedom Sue. Not that he was a terrible guy, but he was paid so much money and the hype never quite lived up to it. Uh their division isn't that great. To me, the Bills are gonna take a slight step back because Josh Allen more than likely is gonna be the starting quarterback or AJ McCarron, who is worse than Tyrod Taylor. The New York Jets are just in complete rebuild mode, especially if Sam Darnold starts a lot. I, I do think that the Miami Dolphins can be competitive, as we've seen the last several years. They play, they beat New England once a year. So then, if you can go, you know, win three other games in your division, you're four and two. Then, if you somehow find a way to win five games, you're nine and seven. And I, I don't think it's out of the realm possibility. I, I know a lot of Vegas and a lot of betting sites have them as one of the lowest over unders in the league i'm not that uh down on them i i expect them to be competitive because i think their their coach is good now the big wild card is a quarterback he consistently gets hurt he's starting to have a little bit of a sam bradford feel to him if he is healthy and that that's a massive if right now because he hasn't been able to stay healthy now the Tannehill, hill you know fanboy contingent would tell you it's basically the same injury remember two years ago he refused to have surgery And that was, you know, the next, as of last year, when he tore his knee, it was his own fault because he should have just got surgery the first time. Well, I'm not Dr. James Andrews here, but that's, yeah. And I think they tried to push the envelope and it backfired heavily, mightily. I also think this, their first-round pick, Minkah Fitzpatrick, when it's all said and done, could be one of the best players in this draft. He was one of the best players in college for the last three years. He started as a true freshman. He played every stinking position for the Alabama defense. He's not going to fail. He may never be, you know, Ed Reed, but he is going to be a really good starter for a long, long time. I, I love that pick. I think Miami got a little lucky that he just fell into their laps. So I'm just – I had kind of forgotten about Mika Fitzpatrick, but I see what you're saying about the deeper secondary. And, and yeah, I'm with you. I, I think they're going to be better. And I, I do like their offseason too. I – Playoffs, uh, nine wins, mm, but it wouldn't shock me. I think a lot of people expect them to win four or five games if they won eight. Uh, Bill Belichick, actually by JP Sports. Colin often talks about how LeBron and Belichick don't really do good things at the beginning of the finals because they're trying to use the first part of the game or series to test the waters. Changed a little bit for LeBron, but I I know what you're saying. Do you believe the reason that they didn't win eight Super Bowls is because Belichick does this? I I don't, because really at the end of the day, the Super Bowls that the Patriots have lost have not been because of their poor first halves. Now, it made the Atlanta game really hard Uh, last year, kind of put them behind the eight ball. But ultimately, it's been execution down the stretch. If you remember, what would it have been, 07 when Brady just threw it a little too high for Wes Welker? uh in 2011 I'm pretty sure Gronkowski did not play in that Super Bowl or maybe he did play but he was a shell of himself because he had the bad foot you know it's just last year I mean sometimes you just get beat you know it's the Super Bowl it's really hard And, and I think for them to win five Super Bowls out of eight is just an incredible accomplishment no different than LeBron I mean in fairness to LeBron he hasn't been the betting favorite in many of his finals and all these ones that he's if you're listening to this, I guess the the Warriors game is tonight. Like the Warriors are just better, and I, I think he's had to change that strategy. And I, I don't think I think Bill Belichick tries to score points on on every play, especially in big games. He's not necessarily trying to set you up for stuff in the Super Bowl. Maybe he's doing it in the regular season, potentially in a playoff game, but in the NFL, it's hard. There's no margin for error. One bad play, one pick six, one fumble six can screw you, can do you in. One screwed up onside kick you know, in the first half can be the difference in a game. Every play in a playoff game matters so much. I mean, in football, just in general, plays do matter because there's only 50 or 60 offensive plays on each side of the ball. So every play is magnified, especially in the playoffs when, you know, yards are hard to come by. So I I don't think – I think they got beat. You know, they say styles make fights. I, I think matchups make Super Bowls. If you look at the two Super Bowls they lost to Coughlin and the Giants – it was a bad matchup. They had a fantastic defensive line. It's always kind of been the downfall of the Brady era. You know, a couple years ago when the when Denver beat them and ended up winning the Super Bowl, when Manning was terrible, what got them? I mean, they could not block their defensive line. What was the downfall last year? The play at the end of the Super Bowl, it was Brandon Graham. You know, it was the defensive front for Philadelphia. They're just good defensive lines historically have always given New England trouble. Because for the most part, you know, they don't have five Logan Mankins up front. They have one high draft pick and then usually a couple mid-rounders and a couple undrafted free agents. They're not dealing with five blue chippers. And that's, you know, how Belichick builds his team. And, again, sometimes at the highest level of football, you just get beat. A couple years ago when Alabama lost in the championship, basically in the last play to Clemson, sometimes not every loss also is a bad thing. You know, you like to me. You could hold your head high in, in certain losses, like last year with LeBron. He lost the Warriors, basically got his ass kicked in five games. To me, he could hold his head high. You know, it's like he did everything he could. I, I've watched Belichick. You know, you you could argue it wasn't his best coach game. That's that's fair, but you know, it's the Eagles' time. I mean, the franchise has never won a Super Bowl, and, and their team was stacked. That they, they were really good. Now, in a perfect world, do you like losing the backup quarterback? No, but I, I think in all three. In all three losses, there's been a common theme, elite pass rush, elite front pressure, and and that's always kind of been the Achilles heel of New England and Bill Belichick in the championship. Uh, Kobe D., big fan of the podcast and your insights and analysis. I'm from Pittsburgh and a huge Steeler fan. What, in your eyes, is the main issue with Mike Tomlin? To me, it's pretty simple. Uh, I think Mike Tomlin is a top-five NFL coach. Uh, I think his resume is fantastic. If the Pittsburgh Steelers were to ever move on, he would be hired immediately. I think his downfall, he is excellent at managing personalities, handling guys like Ben, Le'Veon, Antonio Brown, you know, kind of crazy coordinators like Bruce Arians or or Todd Haley. He's really good at motivating the team and, and having them locked in. I think it comes down to details. He's a defensive guy, and his defense, especially he's this defensive secondary guy, and his secondaries always have massive holes. The one play that, like, I understand, sometimes you just come out flat or whatever in a a big game. That that happens, no matter what you do motivationally that week. Like, let's just use the Jaguars playoff game, for example. But they ultimately were still in that game when it was nut-cutting time in the fourth quarter. There was a play where they needed to get off the field in third down, and they would have had a chance to at least tie the game, if not win it. And I forget the exact down and distance, but they ran like a crossing route underneath uh, the Jaguars did, and the corner bit when he had the flat. And the corner carried a vertical that he didn't need to. And ultimately, the, the Jaguars got the first down, and it cost them the game. It's little details like that that even in your shittiest performance, they could have overcome the bad start, and beat the Jaguars, despite playing very poorly. And I do think the Patriots were there to be had this year. They they were a flawed, great team. And I know the Steelers have never beat them, it feels like, especially in New England, but I do think they could have beat them. And it comes to details. In the biggest moment, at the biggest time, Belichick's players always seem to make a play. Now, they don't always win the Super Bowl, but for the most part, they're getting there. You know, Tomlin... Losing in the first round, I mean his equivalent of first round, it was actually the second round, but they had a bye at home to the Jaguars when their quarterback's Blake Bortles is tough to stomach if you're a Steeler fan. You have a Hall of Fame quarterback, you have the best running back in the league, and you have the best receiver in the league. And because your defense, when it's time to make a play, can't get the details right, to me it's details, 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 details. And that's really his downfall. And to me that's the reason he might end up in the Hall of Fame. I mean – If he keeps winning divisions, you know, if he makes to another Super Bowl, even if he loses it, his resume is going to be damn good. But I do think there will be something there to be desired. And and in fairness, there are with most coaches. Most guys are not Belichick. Most guys are not Parcells. Most guys are not Walsh. There's nothing wrong with being Mike Tomlin, you know. Mike Tomlin, I think Andy Reid's a better football coach. Mike Tomlin has a Super Bowl. So I I think you just have to live with it. And here's the other thing. And I think Steeler fans, anytime they have a tough loss in the playoffs, they want him gone. Who's going to be the next coach? Who who, who would do a better job than Mike Tomlin? I I think it would be really hard to find. Okay, thanks again. I'm glad John Robinson came on. I'm glad you got a a chance to hear him. Known him for a long time. He's a stud. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. I know I will here in Nashville. Thanks for listening to the 3 Now Out podcast on the Colin Coward Podcast Network.